0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Feminists Want System Change podcast. I'm Anne-Sophie Garrigou, and I'm here today with another guest. Can you please introduce yourself? Hi, good morning. My name is Rishima Quatra, And so, can you
1: tell us uh, about your organization? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm uh, an international advocacy advisor at RFSL, which is the Swedish Federation for LGBTIQ Rights. Uh, it's based in Stockholm. We are at an uh, LGBTIQ human rights organization that works at both the national and international level trying to progress the rights of LGBTIQ people. Mm, Distinctively, we are a norm-critical, feminist, anti-racist organization.
0: Awesome. Can you tell us about the main missions of your organization?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I work particularly on the international uh, team and what we strive to do is open up international fora to ensure that there are diverse voices that are feeding into policy programs um, and are working with politicians and decision makers to ensure that LGBTIQ people's human rights and needs are reflected uh, in every space possible. So a lot of what we do is we directly fund and work with strengthening the capacity of our partners um, from the Global South and the Global East and we also run many training programs that do the same thing, to open up the international human rights space so that activists can use those uh, mechanisms to push for change on the ground. That's awesome. And we were
0: talking just before we start uh, recording that we're really far from like, coming to equality when it comes to uh, LGBTQI uh, rights. So can you tell us about the importance of like, still fighting basically for those rights? absolutely
1: we are far (laughs) from reaching any type of equality when it comes to lgbtiq rights Uh, lgbtiq people face consistent systematic uh, violence and discrimination in every aspect of life every day there are punitive legislations that criminalize lgbtiq people both directly and indirectly whether that is on criminalizing same-sex sexual behavior in general, whether they're anti-propaganda laws that Mm. don't even allow people to either organize or talk about uh, LGBTIQ people at all. There are restrictive laws on NGOs for them to function. Civil society spaces are becoming smaller. Um, And there's a lack of funding, of course, for LGBTIQ organizations to continue to push for human rights specifically for trans individuals, you know, within the context of Europe, only 42 countries have legal gender recognition laws, and of those 42 countries, 22 require divorce, right? So we're talking about um, very arbitrary uh, laws that mm-hmm. restrict the right to family, that restrict the right to life, intersex individuals um, who make up two percent you know roughly uh, of the population of the world which is a really significant number uh, continue to face um, non-consensual irreversible harmless and often medically unnecessary surgeries uh, that amount to you know what the un has said is torture Mm -hmm. so when we think about equality or gender equality we are so far from reaching any kind of um, space where LGBTIQ people can even feel safe in this world.
0: So what what would you say are the main remaining barriers, maybe like political or social social barriers that remains uh, to equality for for those people?
1: Well, one of them is obviously very um, obvious, which are mm, punitive laws which I mentioned before, which is Do you have examples? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the the criminalization, Mm. um, et cetera, uh, access to any kind of social services, education, uh, employment, and so LGBTQ people face discrimination, bullying, harassment in schools, which leads to a disproportionate uh, rate of trans and gender non-conforming people from uh, dropping out of schools, which impact their ability uh, and their human capital to get jobs, Uh, lgbtiq people get fired if they come out of the closet um, or choose to transition so many of them stay in the closet that leads to acute mental stress issues etc and then when we're talking about you know what are other barriers i mean there's a complete lack of political will oftentimes for politicians and other decision makers to make a change Mm -hmm. Uh, queer issues are used as a scapegoat in political um, processes Right. It's easy to make LGBTIQ people the other, the bad people, the ones that are against national, um, I guess, security, even Mm -hmm. oftentimes to shift um, attention away from lots of other things that are wrong with um, with, with countries or with policies. And then in the world that we live in, religious institutions uh, are hugely, play a huge role when it comes to stigmatizing LGBTIQ people and influencing policy at all levels that continue to uh, marginalize queer people or commit violences against queer people. And we talk about a huge resurgence of uh, right wing movements that are often so anti women's rights and anti LGBTIQ rights. So when we think about what's happening in Europe today, we're shifting away from this progress, this collective ideals of like what progress should be, what liberality should be into spaces that are becoming more restrictive and constrictive for LGBTIQ people. There are now proactive laws to criminalize LGBTIQ people. And we see that happening in Russia. We see that happening just, what, two weeks ago in Poland where now you know, comprehensive sexuality education uh, is being criminalized. And so, I mean, I would say those are a few of the barriers, but we're certainly taking many steps backwards just as much as we're trying to take you know have a step forward
0: I think it's an incredible work you're doing because a lot of people outside of this um, world they don't know so much about this backlash and they don't realize so um, yeah I think it's like a very important time to to address those or yeah to continue to address those issues and fight for those Um, do you have any policies uh, recommendations that you know you would like to see uh, being
1: enforced all over the world Yeah, I guess we need more comprehensive laws that protect people from violence and discrimination. So countries seems obvious. I mean, you know, it seems obvious, but it's. It's not it's remarkable how many countries either don't have anti-discrimination laws or have anti-discrimination laws that don't protect people specifically based on sexual orientation, gender identity or expression or sex characteristics, mm-hmm. right? Which means queer people face discrimination in employment, in education, in almost every kind of institution and can't get redress for yeah. those uh, for those experiences mm-hmm. because they're not protected or they're being rollbacks in those protections. Um, other policy changes, obviously, to repeal any type of punitive law um, that criminalizes directly or indirectly uh, LGBTIQ people, and ensuring that when we're talking about development, very specifically, and in this world where you know the Agenda 2030 is a huge deal, and all countries have committed to ending poverty, achieving gender equality, um, etc., that when countries institutions any stakeholder is thinking about designing development programs that they're being truly inclusive and inclusivity means taking into consideration those people who are the most marginalized so that we really reach that you know incredible principle of leaving no one behind mm-hmm. yeah. right it means literally thinking about those who are on the fringes of every single society and often lgbtiq people and especially lgbtiq people who face multiple and intersecting forms of discrimination, like queer people who are Muslim, queer people who are people of color, queer people who uh, are, you know, living with HIV or who have a disability, who are older, uh, who are sex workers, who, you know, every single, who are migrants, you know, I'm an immigrant myself, face multiple and intersecting forms of these um, marginalizations, oppressions, and are systematically left out of these processes. Mm -hmm. So when we're thinking about inclusive development, when we're thinking about moving forward, we need to think about how to be incorporative of all of these groups of people. How optimistic are you
0: about the future?
1: That's a really hard question. I believe so much in the power of people, the power of all women in all of our diversity. And I think that, you know, We have so much power in young feminists, in youth who are literally taking to the streets, who are fighting to be a part of the table. I think for anyone who's working in human rights, if we didn't have some type of optimism, we wouldn't be doing this work. Because so much of the change that we are trying to work for isn't something that we're going to see tomorrow Mm -hmm. or 10 days from now. We're trying to change the system. We're trying to. bring down all of these institutional structures that are discriminatory, that are oppressing women and all people. And it does take time, but it's urgent, right? It takes so much time, Mm. but it's so urgent. Mm. If we don't put in every single capacity right now, then we risk losing everything that we have gained up until this point, because we know that every single force uh, that is against us is rallying just as hard as we are, and usually they are more capacitated and have more funding. They do so. <laughs> so yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I think we all have to be. Otherwise, we can't continue. I agree.
0: Um, do you have a feminist uh, quote that you would like to
1: share with uh, everyone here today? Well, I have a quote. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I it can be interpreted in every different type of way, feminist. Humanist, I would say, mm-hmm. um, and it's won by Martin Luther King Jr. And it is somewhat along the lines of um, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Thank you so much. Um, it was really a
0: pleasure to have you on the podcast, and um, good luck for for everything. And um, see you around. Yeah, thank
1: you so much. It was great <laughs> speaking to
0: you. Today. Thanks.